And before we begin our study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Well, I know this. Sometimes we can get trapped in what you could call an either-or argument. I can show you an example of this. If you had to choose, which would you rather have, righteousness or joy? Both. Mm, I don't know, I don't know. But here's the thing, the scripture says you don't have to choose. The kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat or drink, but it's righteousness and, and, say and, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if someone says, which would you choose? The answer is, I choose all of them you can get trapped or tricked into an either or argument or what some people would call these days a false binary, this or that, or a false dichotomy, which is the same thing in logic. And we're presented with two choices that seem to be opposites and exclusive and we're told choose one, but tonight I wanna talk to you about how to get beyond either ors when you need to so you don't get trapped and you don't get tricked into it. And it's especially important because when it comes to salvation and when it comes to the things of God, it's important to get beyond either or because we each have our part to do and God has his part to do and we need to do our part and he does his part but we all have to do it together. Have you ever given someone a check for a payment that you owed them but you forgot to sign it? Anybody ever do that? Or someone gives you a check but they don't sign it. And then they have to come back and say, you know, I couldn't cash it, I needed your signature, can you sign it? And then you sign it and you can take it. It takes signing on. Anybody ever buy a house? Did you ever try to count how many times you have to sign? Or even initial. And now even if you do it online digitally using these new digital methods, there's still a lot of electronic initialing and signing and so forth. If you try to buy a house and you won't sign, then what? It's not gonna be your house, pal. That's for sure, you've got a sign. Well, in the same way with the Lord, salvation is available to all of us. God has done his part. What's necessary on our part at the very simplest level, it's to understand it's a covenant, and a covenant requires different parties. So God is signed with the blood of his son, Yeshua, and he signs his signature, because there's life in the blood and atonement is in the life through the blood. But you and I have to sign on as well. If we don't sign on, if we just examine the documents, you know what? 
we haven't executed the agreement. And so it's not ours. We have to wholeheartedly say yes to the Lord. God makes covenant with us and it requires our participation. So in a sense, God has made a contract with humanity about how we can be rescued. All the terms are in the covenant and he's provided the sacrifice and he's ratified it, but our part is to sign on. If we don't accept, if we don't sign on, if we don't say yes to the Lord, even though it's available to us, we can't cash the check. We can't draw on it. It's an incomplete, unexecuted agreement. Well, what's interesting about this week's Torah portion, I think, is it helps us think about this idea that God has his part and we have our part, and that it's not an either or, it's both together. So let's turn to Exodus about the two parts, and then we'll look at some new covenant scriptures that express uh, similar ideas. So we'll start in Exodus chapter 27, verse 20. Moses receives this um, assignment from the Lord. The Lord says, you're to order the people. You know what that means? Tell them this is what they have to do. It's not a negotiation. It's one-sided. The Lord says, you tell them to do this. You're to order the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pounded olives for the light and to keep a lamp burning continually. Verse 21, Aaron and his sons are to put it in the tent of meeting outside the curtain in front of the testimony and keep it burning from evening until morning before Adonai. This is to be a permanent statute through all the generations of the people of Israel. So order Israel to bring pure oil and to keep the lamp burning nonstop. So I want you to think about this. Where does oil come from? Olives. Where do olives come from? Trees, where do trees come from? The earth, and where does the earth come from? The Lord. So the scriptures teach us that the Lord created the earth in such a way it could bring forth vegetation, and God created all the different kinds of vegetation. So one commentator said, God's in the business of making trees, but we've gotta be in the other businesses. We've gotta be in the business of making oil, right? You don't go to a tree and put a cup under the tree and wait. Well, you can, and what will happen? Nothing, nothing's gonna happen. If you want pure olive oil, you've gotta to go to the tree, you've gotta harvest the olives at the right time from the tree, You've got to bring them together and then crush them. You've got to crush them in such a way that the oil is uh, crushed out and flows out and can be collected. And then you need to gather up the oil and let it settle so that you can get pure oil, right? You have to do all this. What if you like the idea that God would do all that so you can just use the olive oil? I would say good luck with that. That's as useful as standing under the tree yourself with a bucket hoping oil is gonna come through. The Lord doesn't produce 
olive oil. Unless you're thinking of that rare miracle, you know, where the Lord took oil and multiplied it. The Hanukkah miracle is one. Is it the widow of Zarephath? Is that another one? Yeah, but those are exceptions. Would you agree? And extraordinary. If that's the way it always worked, it wouldn't be a miracle. It'd just be that's the way it works. But those were exceptional miracles, right? And they are not the same as what the Lord is, is speaking about here. What the Lord is saying is this, I've created the earth and you have been able to plant and cultivate, develop olive groves so that you can raise olive trees that produce olives so that you can harvest them, crush them, collect the oil, purify it, and set it aside for my purposes in addition to any other purpose you might have. But what is the work of mankind? It's to, to do the production of the olive oil. Am I right? Do you see that? There's effort, there's process, and there's even the goal of perfection. The Lord is not looking for the third pressing or for olive pomace, if you're familiar with it. He wants, what is it, the EVO, EVOO. How do you say that if you're a foodie? Well, that, yeah, so what's the short, how does uh, Rachel Ray say it? Okay, good. There you have it. You want the best, you want the first pressing. That's what the Lord is saying. I want, I want pure oil. I don't want it mixed with anything else. I don't want the second or the third. I don't want the leftovers, I want the best. It makes sense that this would follow from the passage of Teruma where the Lord is saying, bring to me an offering of Teruma, which is the best off of the top. Don't give me what's left over, give me the best before you've used anything. So the human work is clear here. The people of Israel have this responsibility to do everything necessary in order to produce pure olive oil and to do it all the time. You should always be doing this. So this is a command to be committed, to be productive, to do your work. Work hard, make every effort to do it just so. God doesn't make olive oil, he makes olive trees. We make olive oil. It's our responsibility. It's, it's human work. And then there's a list in the um, verses that follow, which we won't read, but I just want to call out, a list of many items listed here. Garments, breastplates, vests, robes, tunics, turbans, sashes, engraved stones, gold mountings, gold chains and so on. Let me ask you a question. We have a skillful geologist here. Have you ever met a precious stone that was already engraved by itself? Uh, they, don't, they don't exist, right? Engraved stones are engraved by humans. Am I right? Have you ever found gold chain inside of rock? No, no, you get the gold and then you have, to, you have to do everything necessary to separate the gold from the ore and to purify it and so forth. It's a laborious and very exacting process. It doesn't happen on its own. 
you may find a strong vein of gold, but it doesn't mean you're gonna find a chain of gold. And you're not gonna find gold mountings if you look long enough. I just gotta look in one more place. There's bound to be a mounting here made of gold. If, if, if you're betrothed and you wanna give your wife a wedding ring and you go out in the yard looking for one, you're looking in the wrong place. All these things that are listed here require craftsmanship. They require uh, artisans doing their work and they require skill as well and practice as well. Now, we see the same concept at work in a spiritual way in the New Testament in several places, but one that I think is pretty clear is when Paul is writing Timothy about Timothy's spiritual ministry, which is a combination of human effort and God's grace. Okay, I'll give you a false choice again. Which would you rather have, God's grace or human effort in order to do your ministry? Both, don't be a sucker for this. It's not an either or, you gotta recognize it. Um, Next time, wise up, okay? It's not either or, it's both together. Okay, let's turn to Timothy 2.15. If it was one or the other, then there would be a 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy, I just said Timothy, didn't I? Well, good luck with that. Um, 2 Timothy, or in the words of our president or in his style, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2. Now, it's 2 Timothy 2.15. There are a number of translations for this. I'll sort of elaborate on it. One is this, be diligent to present yourself to God. Another one is study to show yourself Another one is put your best effort into this in order to present yourself to God as one who has been approved, a worker, ah, say that, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Isn't that an interesting idea? If it were either or, would there be this kind of instruction? There would not. It would simply be God's gonna do everything, you just do nothing and see him at work. And of course there are moments when God says stand back and do nothing but watch. And you'll see that I do everything, but even when God does everything, more than likely he does everything up to a point and then you gotta do more. Who parted the Red Sea? The Lord. Who made dry ground? The Lord. Who walked across? (laughs) That's right, the Israelites walked across. And imagine if some of them said, hey, this is God's business, let him carry me. Wrong, wrong way of thinking. Everyone has to do their part. Sometimes the waters part only when you step into them. Sometimes you have to be faithful, you have to do your part. Well, in in 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul is not confused. He's not, he's not tricked into making one or the other choice. He understands it's not an either or situation. 
God has done the calling, God has done the prophesying, God has poured out spiritual gifts, but Timothy has to work. He has to work. And in spiritual matters, this should be really clear to us, there's work for us to do. Now where people get confused is they mix it all up together and then they become extreme in the either or. It's like, well, there's nothing for people to do because God has done everything necessary to save us. And that is not exactly right. God has done everything necessary to save us so that we can enter into covenant with him and receive the benefits of what God has done. But if you stand at a distance and you don't accept the covenant, you don't get the benefits of it. It's an unsigned check. It's an unexecuted document. It's an agreement where God has been willing to be the party, but you haven't. You have to do the execution of the document. There are many, many people I know who get this wrong when it comes to their schooling. And they're the kind of people who, before every test, are praying for a miracle. <laughs> yeah, and why do they need a miracle? They didn't study, they don't know the material. If you're the kind of person who's always praying for miracles because you didn't do your part, this is a useful word for you. It's time to learn to do your part. And it's not possible to get the benefits if you don't do your part. We have to do our parts. So we have to be really clear about what our parts are. Now I think 2 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter one, starting in verse three, helps us see how Peter understands God's part and our part. And in a sense, Peter explains that God is supplying the spiritual resources necessary so that we can provide our necessary effort. Let's read starting in verse three down to uh, verse nine. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse four, through these, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature now that you've escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So do you see, this is what God has done. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us his precious and magnificent promises. And so through these, we can become partakers and so forth. Do you see how um, Peter is explaining, this is what God has done for you. Now why is it necessary to get that part right? So that you don't think that you're the one who does everything necessary in order to save yourself. You don't. You recognize what God has done and then you can partake and participate. Today my wife had an idea. She wanted to make a, 
pear frangipani tart. And one of the reasons was she had pears that were getting on the verge of being too ripe and she wanted to use them all up. And this is what she had in mind. So she got some puff pastry, she poached the pears in wine and cardamom and all sorts of other stuff. And then she assembled the, uh, the puff pastry and then she came to me and she said, okay, I'm not sure what to do here. So she was asking me all these technical questions because recently I've been making lamb sausage wrapped in puff pastry and I've gotten pretty good at it. Yeah, but I'm buying the lamb sausage and then cooking it and I'm buying the puff pastry and then thawing it and then wrapping, you know. I do assemblage, it's, yeah. And if someone said, make the puff pastry, I'd say, why? You can buy it, it's ready to go, it's easy. It's really easy, I never make mistakes buying it. Okay, so she had all these questions because she was putting together from scratch something except for the puff pastry, but she had questions like, how should I do this? Should I like, use a fork and prick certain parts of the puff pastry? Should she par-bake it and all this other stuff? And uh, I, I realized I could guess, but she needed real answers. And so there's a certain point where I said, if you were making lamb sausage, and she looked at me like, you know, you know I'm not making lamb sausage wrapped, wrapped in puff pastry. And I said, yeah, but if you were, I could tell you what to do. <laughs> and she said, well, what do you think? And I said, I'm not even guessing, because I don't have any idea. So she figured it out, you know, because she's clever. She's uh, very thoughtful. She's got a lot of experience in, in such matters. And it came out really well, and then she showed it to me, and I said, oh yeah, now that I see it, I could have told you. <laughs> and then I laughed, it's like, well, I can describe to you what you just did if you need that. That's not what she needed. Do you understand the difference? She needed to know how to do it, and so forth. Peter's thinking like that. If you don't know how to do this, you'll get spiritual things all mixed up. You'll, you'll not understand what's God's part, what's your part, and when you get it all mixed up, it's gonna be a mess rather than a beautiful thing. So Peter starts by saying, God has done all of this so that you can participate with him. Do you get that? And he's saying, I want you to understand it so that, and that's what verse um, five is. For this very reason, or this is why, or I said all that so that now I can tell you this. And look at what he says. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, 
and to brotherly kindness, love. Make every effort. So in light of this, because of what God has done now, you put every effort into doing your part, and these next parts are interesting because they're spiritual things. They can also be spiritual fruit, some of these. And when you understand how do you go about adding the fruit of love, well, you have to cultivate something that produces love, right? How do you add the spiritual fruit of faith? Well, you have to cultivate faithfulness and practicing uh, following God's instruction, trusting him in difficult situations and then remembering what he did when you were trusting him. All these things work together. Make every effort. Let's say that. Make every effort. Make every effort. If a student gets this, make every effort to study. Make every effort to review your notes. Make every effort to understand what you're being taught. Make every effort to master the material so that you can participate in everything well. Make every effort. Well, this is important. You see, Peter is not caught up in the either or false idea, false choice, or false dichotomy. He knows these two things work together. Well, it turns out in, in the Greco-Roman world of old that it was very, it, it was very popular among the philosophers and the intelligentsia of that day to try to reduce important ideas to one resolved idea itself. But among the Jewish people, there was a different way of thinking. It was this and this. And that, that was not considered very sophisticated. It turns out that when you have both and thinking rather than either or thinking, it's more sophisticated, it's more complicated, and it's more thorough and it's more useful. There are certain things that cannot be produced uh, in spiritual life if you're a reductionist, if you resolve everything to one simple principle without dealing with the two sides that are necessary. It turns out that in many cases, two sides are not in opposition, they unite to form one whole. Justice and mercy are a good example. Justice without mercy, according to the scriptures, isn't real justice, it's not the justice of God. Mercy without justice isn't the mercy of God. The mercy of God is present with the justice of God. The justice of God is present with the mercy of God. That's the way justice and mercy are. They exist together. They're like one side and then the other side of the same coin, but they are part of the same coin. And this idea is a complicated and sophisticated idea that will move civilizations forward dramatically, and when you don't have it, you'll never get the forward momentum that God wants for us. For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. 
Don't just pray for miracles. Make every effort. And then it goes on, verse eight. If you possess these qualities and continue to grow in them, they will keep you from being ineffective. Isn't that interesting? And keep you from being unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. That's really interesting. That suggests something. You could be a believer and be ineffective. You could be a believer and be unproductive. How? If these qualities aren't growing in you, then you could end up being ineffective and unproductive. Verse nine, but whoever lacks these traits, oh, here's a good one. Whoever lacks these traits is nearsighted to the point of blindness. Having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Whoa, that wraps back up to the beginning. Where do you get forgiveness from? Is it something you earn? Is it something you deserve? No, it's something you partake in freely because God makes it available to you and you enter into covenant with a forgiving, covenant-keeping, compassionate God, right? On his terms, not on your terms. And if you forget that, if you forget that, what God has done for you, then you'll not be able to sort through what you did to get yourself in trouble, number one, and what you need to do in order to be effective and productive in light of what God has done for you. And if you get all that confused, you'll try to save yourself when you need God to save you, and you won't approach God because you'll be embarrassed when you really need his help and his mercy. And you'll think, I don't deserve it. Of course you don't deserve it. That's the whole point. When you come to terms with the fact that God is utterly holy, and we're not, we're imperfect at best, right? At worst, I won't even say. But we need his mercy. We need him to do his part. What if you say, well, you know, I've done so many bad things. I'm ashamed to go to God. Well, then you're at least being honest. That's correct. All of us should be able to say that. I've got enough stuff in my life that I wouldn't want to be judged by I wouldn't want to face eternal judgment for, and I need the mercy of God. I can't pay for those things, but God can, and God has. I need to get his part straight so that I can get my part straight. Where do we get what we need for life and godliness? From his divine power. How do we obtain his divine power? Peter says, by knowing him who called us by his own glory and excellence, not by our glory and excellence. You know, so we shouldn't say to the Lord, you really got a deal when you got me. <laughs> no, we should say, you know what? I can't believe that you were willing to include me. And this is how he gives us his incredible promises. And through these promises, through his faithful yea and amen, Confirmed in Messiah, we partake in his divine nature, and that's how we escape the world that corrupts us. So with all this in mind, make every effort. That's what we do. That's our spiritual work. That's our spiritual work, our practical work. Make every effort. Why do we make every effort? Because we don't think we'll be saved? No. Because this is what God has called us to do. This is our part. When he says make pure oil, 
is the same thing, right? Now you understand this in all matters that have nothing to do with the spiritual. I'll give an example. Someone says, I know you need brain surgery, no problem. And then you find out that they want to do brain surgery on you because by faith, they're a brain surgeon. Now they're actually a watercolor artist. And good, and a good one, a good one. But they're saying, you know, by faith, by faith I can do brain surgery for you. And you would say, I don't think so. Or, or someone who is really good carving wooden doodads presents themselves and says, by faith, I am a structural engineer and I can design your skyscraper. You would say, by faith, you're institutionalized. You know, you're out of your mind. When it comes to normal stuff, if a drunken passenger on the airplane you're on says, I can fly this plane, are you gonna agree? Definitely not. No, you want someone who's competent, who's gonna make every effort and do it right. And if they start using any kind of funny language, even religious or spiritual language, by faith I'm this or that, you know better. Am I right? And so in, in almost all other matters, you know to do that. If, if someone approaches you at the, uh, at the gas station and says, by faith, I am a safety deposit bank box in your bank, give me your money. You will think, I think I'm being robbed. I think something strange is going on. You wouldn't be confused, right? You keep your distance. You wouldn't stop and pray like, wow, this must be from the Lord. You would know better, am I right? You would just know better. You probably wouldn't even think about it. You'd think of some crazy person. But when it comes to pure spiritual things, you may be fooled because you forget what God has said. Make every effort. Make every effort. Make every effort. Not to save yourself. Make every effort in light of the saving work of God. Make every effort to do what he tells us is our part. Make every effort. And when that becomes a source of joy, it becomes a source of freedom as well. You know what, I think I'll make every effort. I've got, I've got one grandchild, he was getting ready to take a series of tests and I said, are you nervous? And he said, no. And I said, why not? And he said, I know everything that we're gonna face. And I said, are you sure? And he said, oh yeah, I'm sure. And he was right. The reason he knew everything is because he had learned everything. It's not because he was gonna pray for a miracle that night before he went to bed. Oh Lord, put in my brain everything I never even paid attention to or didn't study and haven't read about. No. I remember he took, a, he took an SAT and he got um, almost a perfect score. He missed one question. 
And I said, how did that happen? And he said, he said I, I must have just made a mistake because I knew all the material. And he was one who I believed because he made an almost perfect score. It's not that he was a good score, he just missed one question. That was it. He knew everything because he had made every effort. Do you see? He had made every effort. I've got some other grandchildren and they're praying for miracles. <laughs> they're praying that the teacher will forget they didn't turn in their homework. They're, they're praying that the thing they didn't do thoroughly you know, won't count for too much against them. They're praying that the test won't have anything on it that's really hard because they can barely remember even the easy parts. Different approach, do you see? If you wanna be effective and you wanna be productive, make every effort. And when you do that, you'll start finding, oh, this world that God has called me to be in, it makes more sense now. I understand my part better and I see God's help better. I've been praying for olive oil, I need to be praying for olive trees, not for olive oil, I need to work. Do you remember Yeshua once had this, this word, and it's, it's our final word. Pray the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest, say that with me. The Lord of the harvest, that he will send laborers into the harvest because the fields are already ripe. They're already ripe, but the laborers are very few. Lord, we don't want you to be in this situation where your fields are ripe and we're not available to harvest where you want. We want to be faithful to do our work. We also want to be faithful, Lord, to cultivate the ground, to prepare the ground, to take care of it, to watch over it, to develop it, to prepare it so that it could bring forth. And I pray that we would be faithful to that command that you gave to Adam to serve the earth and to guard it and that we wouldn't think it's someone else's job, but we would say, you know, we're gonna make every effort too, Lord, to do our part to take care of the world and the, the places that you've given us to live in. Let it be, Lord, that we're effective and we're productive. And let our spiritual fruit and our practical and natural fruit all bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 So which would you rather have now, peace or joy? There you go. Let's close. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing by yourself, just move a little bit so you're not alone. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom.